Good morning. Amen. Can we get our Bibles open to Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 21 this morning. We're going to be looking at the, the kingdom of God again as Jesus continues to teach us through parables and going to see the, the reality of God's kingdom, the guaranteed, the unexpected and fruitful kingdom. Well, a little, little story that, that happened not too long ago. So towards the end of summer, like we're peeking into the fall, um, had this, a strange, unexpected arrival in the garden bed that's in the front of our house. Now we, I'm not a, like a green thumb or anything, I don't really know, I can't remember sometimes what, what's what going on, but we have some hostas in there and boxwood and some daylilies, is that right? That's right, Hillary keeps me in check. Um, and, uh, and so we were walking, I was walking into the house one day and I noticed this kind of yellow flowering kind of blooming on this vine that was just making its way out of our, our, what our normal and what we were aware of plants in our garden. And uh, I was like, Where, what is this thing, and how did it get here? Uh, and so we're just going to let it go, because I think it's like some sort of like zucchini or squash or something. And, um, and so we just let it, let it be, and uh, sure enough, zucchini pops off this thing. And I'm just thinking, where did this thing come from? How does this thing growing in this garden, and how did it even find itself in our, our front of our house? I'm still waiting for some, one of you to like kind of chuckle and come to me and say, <laughs> the one night I just stuck some zucchini in your front of your house, just wanted to say, we love you, or <laughs> Pastor Appreciation Month, I don't know what it was. Um, but somehow, this seed, I don't know how, ended up in my garden, and the seed, the, the soil, the, the rain, the sun, all of those things work together to produce this fruit. And it's a, it's a mystery to me. It's unknown to me. And it was actually out of any of my power to make that thing happen. And it appeared. And when we look at our text today, Jesus is, is unfolding for us these realities of his kingdom. And I think he leads us into this reality of this, this surprise, a similar surprise that comes in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we're stunned and say, how, how does this happen? Why does this happen? What made this fruit come? And Jesus shows us. And so our text today, we're looking at verses 21 through 34. And it's a, it's a continuation of what we looked at, the parable of the sower last week. This kind of frames, we're going to come to the kind of the framing of this section. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to see how the Lord comes and even in his hidden ways, the way his kingdom works. He guarantees fruit from his kingdom. And when we experience his kingdom, we realize that there are, ways in which he works that are, that are unexpected, that, that are oftentimes obscure and small, but the Lord always accomplishes his intentions in the end. And so we're going to read our text and then we'll, we'll pray, beginning in verse 21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has 
will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said to them, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can come, make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift to, to come to your word and to hear from you this morning. And it's already been communicated and even sung, Lord, we, we want to hear from you. We want to listen and hear from you, Lord. And we know that for us to hear and understand it comes by the work of the Spirit. So would you give us ears to hear this morning? And not just to, just to collect data points in our brain, but Lord, our hearing would be with our heart. And you would, you would do something in us today. You would help us just revel in the love of God and that we get to be a part of his kingdom. And, and it would change us. And it would, it would move in our hearts. And so would you do that by your spirit? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we saw, we're sort of introduced to this idea of Jesus teaching in parables. And sort of a recap, the word parable literally means to, to set alongside, as in, as in parallel. And so in order to make a point, a, a teacher would tell a similar story or situation and set it along this, this sort of moral Point. But when Jesus is teaching his parables, it, it goes beyond just moral teaching. He simply just wasn't teaching us ethics. He was revealing something about himself. He, he was communicating, and as we see in Mark, his identity is beginning to unfold. Uh, and maybe to orientate us quickly as a reminder of where we are in Mark and some of the purposes of Mark, uh, Mark can be broken down into two, two parts, and it asks us, Three questions in the first part of Mark, chapters 1 through 8, is a, is, a, is a question of identity. Who is Jesus? And we begin to see he is the sovereign son of God. And then the second part that we'll eventually get to, chapters 9 through 16, is, is more specific around his mission. What did Jesus come to do on this earth? And then what does it mean to follow him as his disciples? And so we're halfway through this sort of first part, and we're discovering his identity. And this morning, he's going to be showing us about himself and about his kingdom. And we're going to see these in three parts. One, Jesus illuminates the kingdom. Jesus guarantees the kingdom. And Jesus has an unexpected kingdom. And so this first, first part here, verse 21, Jesus, Jesus offers a question to help us understand. He, he and he references this idea of a lamp. And he says, does somebody take a lamp and do they bring it inside and then they put a bowl over it? Or does somebody take a lamp and stick it under a bed? 
Now, I've never stuck, in a, stuck a lamp under a bed, but I guess maybe that was common back then. But no, you don't put it under a bed. You don't put it under a bowl because that's not what you do with a lamp. You put a lamp in the middle of the room so that it can illuminate everything that is in the room. It's not to be hidden, but to put on a stand so it can disclose and you can see. So once again, Jesus is using his, his common illustrations of common life, common things to teach. And yet this, this idea of a lamp is it within for a Jew would be uh, something that would be tethered to even some Old Testament understanding. King David spoke this prayer to the Lord after being delivered from Saul in 2 Samuel. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. A well-known passage, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or Psalm 132, 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. Speaking of this prophetic thing that would come, I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. So what's captured in some of these texts? The lamp, it leads out of darkness into light. The the lamp brings salvation. The lamp is this word that comes, that guides. And these things are, in Jesus' mind, saying this lamp comes so that nothing hidden, that nothing is hidden except that it would be made manifest. Nothing is secret except that it would become to light. Now, if you picked up on this word secret, back in verse 11, Jesus has already communicated something about a secret thing being Revealed When the disciples came around and some others inquiring about what this parable means of the sower, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So we see this word secret again. What is this secret? Where secret is something known by God, hidden to humanity, yet God discloses. And all who come by faith will see. And this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. And when Jesus is referencing this lamp idea, he is He is pointing to something beyond just a common thing that people would be aware of to use a lamp. He he is saying he is this anticipated Davidic messianic king that has come. He is is the secret revealed, but he's also this true lamp to disclose something about the salvation of God. And notice something about this secret. It is not ultimately something visual, it is something that is heard. It is revealed in word. About a dozen times we see this word hear or listen in chapter 4. And Jesus gives this challenge again in verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to what you hear. The light is come, but to truly see is to truly hear to truly hear what Jesus is saying, to truly hear his disclosing words. The insiders will hear and believe his words, as we saw in the fruitful kingdom, 30, 60, 100 fold. But those who do not see are those ones who refuse to hear, and they remain on the outside of the kingdom. And Jesus says, in your hearing, says the measure you use, or what you were given, if you use it, more will be given to you. Now we just have to pause and remember that these disciples are just beginning to see 
what's going on with Jesus and who he is. They, they don't know, we know the end of the story. We know what is ahead for him in his cross, but they don't know that yet. His life and his death will not be fully manifest yet. Yet they were called to receive by faith what measure they were, would have there and now. The measure, what they would do when they hear of the kingdom of God in Jesus now, what they receive in that moment, more would follow. As they look to Christ, as they look to Jesus, they followed, they obeyed him, the more and more the fullness of the kingdom would be revealed to them. More of the kingdom would be understood. In contrast, what Jesus says is the religious, I think what he's pointing to, thought they were in the in crowd. They thought they knew. They thought they fully understand, but they don't want Jesus. They refuse to hear, and so it's going to be taken away from them. We see, we'll see in Mark and we see throughout the other Gospels, the crowds press in and they, they even, they're begging for him to like redo the, make the bread miracle Jesus. They want to they see with their eyes. They want those miracles, but they don't want him. They don't want his words. They don't want Jesus himself and therefore it remains hidden and undisclosed. I don't know if you are here and you're a, a Disney kind of fanatic. You like the magic kingdom. I know a few people that, uh, that do. There's a relative that I know they have season passes and they go, they live in California and they go all the time. They like bleed Disney. You know the type. I mean, they have the t-shirts and the memorabilia all over their, their house. I have affections for Disney. It is a happy place to me. I know people groan about the crowds and, and all those things, but I, I am mesmerized when I'm there. I love the details. I love all the traditions that come with that. Um, if you've gone and you're part of that sort of crew, you know, you get these, these uh, lanyards, these necklaces, and you have these pins that you can collect with all the characters and movies. And then you can interact with the, the staff there, and you can trade pins with them, these unique ones. And I mean, that's just really cool to me. Um, but I went to Galaxy's Edge, which is like new Disney uh, Star Wars area, it's like you're transported into another world when you're there. And I'm just blown away at the detail of like what they've done with all of the, the buildings. It looks like a battle had taken place and there's like laser scars, you know, from some battle on all of the, the, the walls. There's droids. And then you get then you get something like Disney Plus, and then you have to watch all the the shows about how they created the place and then the rides and the engineers who engineered robotics things that have never existed before just so you can experience a particular ride. All of that stuff is so cool to me. It's, it's amazing. So if you, if you love the Magic Kingdom, those things are like layers upon layers. It just It never is exhausted by what you can experience. But if you're a hater, you will not experience any of that good and glory. The layers are endless. But for those who don't want to know or see, it's not experience. And I think there's something there within the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, to come to me, to, to know me, to love me, to see and receive my words and who I am, you will not exhaust the depths of who I am in my kingdom. It will be a measure. You receive that measure. There's more measure. There's a more measure. There's more Measure And Jesus is inviting people to see that he is the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. See me. Receive me. But we can come sort of dull to those, those realities in our own heart. The measure we've received, unexcitable anymore. It doesn't seem like there's 
much more to delight in. I've got one of my kids learning to drive, and um, we were out yesterday just through our neighborhood and coming to, even just coming to stop signs, just a reminder, you need to turn your blinker on when you're coming to that stop sign. So it's, it's so mechanical. There's so many things to remember. And, and, she, and my daughter asked me, is that like, do you think of that? It's just like, you just something, you know, like, actually you don't. It's just so automatic because I've just done it so many times. You just know you're coming up to a turn, you, you turn it on. And she asked me, isn't it kind of dangerous that you just don't think about that anymore? <laughs> and um, I thought, you know what? That's true. It could get really dangerous when you're just going through lights and you're just like, did I, was that green? Was that red? I don't know if you've ever done that. That's happened to me. But we, we can get kind of on autopilot with the measures and the beauty of Christ. Just, just another turn, the turn, and I don't think about it. And Jesus is inviting us to the good and the glory of that. And I believe this is this deeper place is something that Paul would even capture. If you read Paul's prayers for the churches, one like in Ephesians, he says, May you be strength, have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Measure upon measure upon measure. And this is, and Jesus is the way. He says, I am the way. Hear, hear me, I'm the way to know that, to experience the depths of God's grace. And so he is the one who illuminates. He's the one that allows us to see and to know. And, and Jesus is the one that guarantees this, this kingdom for us. So Jesus, again, returning to the concept of the seeds in these two little following parables. And he says, the kingdom is like a farmer who, who goes out, he scatters some seed. I mean, it sounds very familiar, right? It's echoing what the sower went out to sow and scattered the seed. The emphasis here, though, is not on the sower or the farmer specifically. Specifically, it's, he, I mean, he does a job. He does go out and scatter, and we see him harvesting at the end. But the focus is on him doing nothing in the middle of that. He wakes up. He goes out and looks at the field. Okay. Goes in, goes back to bed. Gets up, walks out, looks at the field, goes back to bed. He just, he just kind of does nothing and is just observing what is happening in the field. And as he observes, something happens out of his power. It sprouts up, it grows. And look what the text says. He says, he knows not how. <laughs> the earth by itself does something. That little word by itself is one word in the Greek. It says it's automate, where we get the word automatic. The seed within it is this potential to create life. And he knows not how. It does it by itself. Now, the parable of the sower, that what we reflected on last week, that sometimes there's a tension in there when we read all the different kind of soils and we can get, there's a, a, maybe an uneasiness of our own heart. What kind, what kind of soil am I right now? And it's possible the disciples just heard that parable and they're hearing the, the interpretation of these four soils and it could lead to like a morbid introspection. I mean, three out of the four don't go so well. I mean, Satan's snatching one. There's the cares of the world. There's the persecutions. And you say, well, how, how is my soul? And will I endure? Will I produce this 30, 60, 100 fold? I know I'm hearing and receiving and accepting your words, Jesus, but how's it landing on me? And, and am I going to bear fruit? Because I'm awfully aware 
of my, my own weak condition of my soul sometimes. And I'm thinking, I'm not feeling good about this right now. But this is the good news. Jesus is coming and he's saying, in him, the implanted word of the gospel, himself, the gospel power has all the potential to produce the kingdom life that his intention would have for that. All the goods to make that happen are in itself. There's a call for these disciples. They will go out. They will scatter seed. They're going to be commissioned, and they're going to share the good news. But they can't guarantee where it's going to land, and they can't at all produce what the Spirit of God can only produce in where it lands. And at times, we don't know why. Why this person does it spring up? Why in this person who hears the exact same thing, who grew up in this exact same home, who heard the same things of the gospel again and again. Why? We, we don't know. There's a mystery to that. But we do know that it, it is God who saves. We do know that within the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And we don't know why it lands on my heart or maybe your heart. And we realize I, it wasn't because I, I manufactured the soil. It wasn't because I was wise enough or smart enough or intelligent enough. But it is a gift of his grace. Ephesians 2 tells us, by grace you have been saved, not your own doing, a gift of God. It is by faith so that no one may boast. So we know not how, but we know it is a work of God. And in this should humble us. This should, should bring humility. It should bring praise. It should remind us when we're worshiping, Lord, I don't, I don't deserve this, but you have been kind and gracious to meet me in this. And it should embolden us we were reminded last week as we go with the gospel to preach that, that it is God who has power to take the hardest of soil and make it soft so that it can spring up in life. So it pushes us into him. I was reminded of the, the power of the gospel. This past week I had lunch with a brother that I, I didn't know. It was my first time meeting him. Um, he's a, a, a pastor in the area. And I heard his story seven, seven to eight years ago. He was on his path uh, to get his PhD in psychology. He wanted to become a professional therapist. He was unsaved. He was a practicing Buddhist. And while in school, somebody was sharing the gospel, challenging him about who Jesus is and um, encouraged him to read his Bible. He goes, of all books, starts reading Revelation. <laughs> and, and he heard Jesus' words. He heard Jesus. He heard Jesus' words, and he was converted. Secret thing became light to him. He's, he's now a, a pastor. He's helping to run a, a counseling center. And we say, I don't know how. We don't know how, but the Spirit's work, the gospel power in itself produced salvation in this brother. And we heard this text last week, and it's just a reminder of the supernatural work of the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, and Paul, as he's reminding the Corinthians, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God gives growth. He guarantees its intention, its end. And it's not just one little plant. It is a full harvest. Our text Tells the, the, the farmer goes out with a sickle, this imagery of reaping, the harvest. It's a picture of this end time, this future thing. There will be a harvest, full, ripe grain. God promises salvation, and it will not shrivel. It will not be thwarted. What he starts, 
he completes. And we're already seeing these antagonistic things that are coming against Jesus or the gospel or his disciples, this opposition, Satan himself, the religious demons, sin, brokenness, sickness, disease, hate from his family, thinking he is crazy, but the gospel will have its intended fruitful place. Jesus will have that succeed. He guarantees it. But we have to fix our eyes on the kingdom of God, his kingdom, because his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of, of this earth. And I, I think it's a reminder for us that, that his kingdom will not be shaken. But when we put our eyes on kingdoms around this earth, we do get shaken. So we, we can't look to political kingdoms. We can't look to financial kingdoms. We cannot look to the kingdoms of maybe our, our school's decisions on certain matters. These things that just get us undone. We, we look to Christ's kingdom. We look to him. And in his kingdom has all the power. In him is all the presences and presence and all the promise that through faith he will see us through to the end. So he illuminates, he guarantees, and Jesus has, has an unexpected kingdom. How he works is in unexpected ways. And so Jesus says the kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds on earth, and when it is sown, it grows up become the largest of all plants. Now the mustard seed is a very, very small seed. There's a, a picture there. It's very tiny. Now we know now that, that it isn't the, the smallest seed of all the world, there are other smaller seeds that exist. But it doesn't mean that Jesus is ill-informed or that he's lying. He's not trying to teach a science lesson to us or some you know, horticulture accuracy, but he's speaking proverbially about, about something spiritual, a reality. So a tiny seed transforms into a large, massive plant with large branches, healthy and big. The mustard seed is like a shrub. It's not a giant tree. It could get up to maybe five to six and a half feet tall. But the point here is Jesus, previously he said uh, there's a, a guarantee of fruitfulness, and now he's trying to communicate something about the contrast and how we understand the kingdom. Tiny seed to a huge bush. When something is in God's hands, part of his mission for his covenant people, he will produce life and a place for them to dwell in. And oftentimes we cannot use our eyes to distinguish and figure out what God is doing in the middle of that. And this picture, this imagery of this tree, this bush, connects prophetically to something that God communicated in the book of Ezekiel. Let's read this section for us. It says, thus says the Lord God, I myself would take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will set it out. I will break off the, up, the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make dry tree, the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. 
God is speaking here through the prophet Ezekiel in the midst of Israel's sin. They, they were wayward. Uh, they, was, they were in the thick of Babylonian oppression, gross political upheaval. Yet there was a promise from God in all, in all of that, his actions on the behalf of his people, that redemption would come. That he would, he would create life where it just seemed like they would just be death. And the Lord would take this tiny twig and plant it and create a flourishing tree with fruit that would foster life, that would attract all other kinds of life. And, he's, and the Lord says, I have spoken, I will do it. Almost, you almost can hear Jesus, echo of Jesus' words. I have spoken. If someone has ears, let him hear me. But what is interesting of Jesus' example of choice of vegetation here, I mean, it captures the essence of Ezekiel's words, but it's not a noble cedar. I mean, this is a mustard plant. I, I did some research. I looked at a bunch of pictures because I didn't really know much about one. And it's not very impressive. I mean, it is a bush. It's a common bush. Nothing to be amazed about. So what, what, what is possible that Jesus is doing here? I believe he's undoing expectations about his kingdom. Commentator David Garland says this, Jesus' view of the kingdom shattered, shattered cherished hopes and delusions of grandeur that may have been in the midst of his contemporaries and those who have followed him through the ages. The kingdom of God does not fulfill human dreams of earthly triumph. Jesus is helping us to see the unexpected way his kingdom is arriving. His kingdom is not like the military rise that many thought the Messiah would come and defeat the Romans. It would not be an earthly political triumph that would be the expansion of his kingdom. And we, we need to be reminded of that today, American church in the West. His kingdom is arriving, and it's arriving in him and therefore, his revealing is, is something about himself as the Messiah, of his road, of his road to the cross, of who he would be as the humble, suffering servant. Isaiah captures this unlikely form in which he would come, Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus as the Messiah is arriving in an unexpected way. The one from Galilee, unimpressive appearance, an undesirable plant. And yet he would, be, he would be the one, that he would actually be the seed ultimately that would go into the ground, that would die, and that would then rise to life. A guarantee of fruitfulness, a guarantee of what would happen for his people, a resurrection that would prove his faithfulness, that would prove his power, that would prove his power to save, and that a harvest would come. A secured harvest would come, not by what we could see, his kingdom, because though sown in weakness to the human eye, though tiny, though insignificant, would explode in glory. His message would expand from there across the whole world. 
So Jesus is coming in an unexpected way and, and also is a communication of what could be expected for his disciples. The call of who, uh, of who he calls and of course their path as well. So what is, what is this call? Well, he's already called some unlikely fishermen. He's, he's already called some unlikely individuals. And his call is a one that would not look like an expectation that the world would want. The low would be brought up. The greatest would be the servant of all. The, the, the earthly glory is not would be, would be expected, but one that was eternal and future. And his kingdom is not for the strong or the, the independent, but for the poor, the weak, the sinner who would see him as a savior. And it would be a kingdom that would, would call all people to himself. This, this image of the birds flocking in was just not just Jew, but all nations would come into the shade of his kingdom. And much like a suffering savior, the disciples would be called to, to suffer like him for his, his sake. What, what, a, what a powerful truth that those original hearers in Mark could be strengthened by what Jesus was communicating to them about the kingdom of God. This, this little seedling movement of Christians, these Roman Christians, believers who, who had Rome just breathing down their neck, religious persecution, persecution for Rome. They're, they're wrestling with doubts. They're, they're little tiny churches. Are, are we going to get snuffed out by this this persecution? Will we be just this obsolete little tiny nobodies and we're, this thing is just going to fade away? And Jesus is saying, no. Little seed, there's going to be a harvest. A little seed, it's going to grow to a beautiful, glorious, fruitful mission that I'm going to accomplish and nothing is going to stop that. We don't know how, but the Lord is with him and he guarantees that this little tiny vulnerable thing, God has purposes, God has a future, God has fruitfulness for them. The promise of Philippians 1.6, I think, captures this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you, saint, he will bring it all the way to the end. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that truth now. Maybe it's a struggle with weakness or sin or doubt. Or maybe it's, it's something you're observing in somebody else. Maybe a, a child that, that's in your home and you're just wondering, what's going on? I don't know. I don't see fruit. We can pray to the one who can illuminate the kingdom. We can pray to the one who can guarantee fruitfulness. We can pray to the one who, who works in unexpected small ways. And we can know for our life, if we're trusting in Christ, we're not, we're not going to get snuffed out. We're not going to get snuffed out. He's going to keep us. I'm not a farmer, but one thing I, I do know a little bit about sort of strange things like zucchinis in my garden and whatnot. Um, there, there's a slowness to all of that farming and gardening thing. There's a patience that comes with that. There's a simplicity that also comes with that. And I think that's something that we could just be remember in light of us as disciples of Jesus. 
99.9% of the time, Jesus is growing us and working in us in the normal, simplicity, mundane of our life. That's where he's just sort of working. The, the get up and go to bed. The get up and go to bed. And God is, is doing something in that small. God wants to do something in that, that normal, average kind of thing. And there's times where this seems like it's imperceptible what he's doing. And we heard a reminder this morning in one of our exhortations during worship. This kingdom is not one of sight. It is one of faith. We look to him. We look to Christ. And we realize that he's just working in those normal things in the midst of all of that. There was one commentary that was speaking of this this mustard seed kind of springing up and it's just a mustard plant and they, the, the term they use is like the, the kingdom of God has gone domestic. We, we're not looking for these giant um, cedars. We're not always looking for fireworks, but it's in the middle of the garden springing up in the front of your house. But we need eyes to see that. Little shoots, little twigs, seed forms that God works in. Seed forms of a church, seed forms in your life, seed forms in what God's doing, little, little things that God is maybe doing in those around you by his power. And so don't despise what seems to be sown in weakness or small things. God uses those small things. God's at work in you, disciple. God is at work in you, believer. And I think there's an encouragement for us to be sure we're, we have eyes to help others be encouraged when they don't see those things. I know from my own life, I am often, I'm less aware of where God is at work and I'm more aware of where I'm failing or I'm not up to par. And we can become cynical and hard on ourselves. It's imperceptible. We're not sure of what's going on. And if others around us are more aware of their failings or where maybe they sense an absence of God's grace, we get to draw attention to those things. We get to help them see. And I think the, the fruit of the Spirit is a very helpful grid to look through. Say, so where, where do I see faithfulness in somebody's life? Man, I want to draw attention to that. That, that is a work of God's grace in there. Where do you see somebody just being patient in the midst of where they should be impatient? We draw attention to that little sprig of God's faithfulness. Where are they in somebody enduring and suffering? Draw attention to that for that brother or that sister. Build them up. Help them see where God is at work. So maybe just a question for you today or this week. Who could you call? Who could you email? Who could you text to say, I see God's grace in your life. I see God's grace at work in you. Well, Jesus concludes verses 33 and 34. And this is sort of like puts the book in. It concludes what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God in this sort of parable section. And he tells, tells us he did not speak to them without a parable. So the crowds, the disciples, everyone, parables. That's what he spoke as they were able to hear. So as we already saw, some heard and they understood and they would see and some would hear and they would not see and they would not understand. But the disciples, how kind of Jesus. He, he privately pulls them aside, reveals more of his kingdom. 
the secret revealed explains and they gain more measure upon measure of who Jesus is and what he was doing. Disciples, let us press in to Jesus. Let us press in to him. Let us keep our eyes on him with faith and know that as we keep our eyes on him and we press into him to hear from him, he's gonna continue to speak to us. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Keep our eyes on Christ. Keep our eyes on his word. Keep our eyes on hearing the gospel from him. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the hearing by faith that we get to experience. And, and Lord, there, there are times in our, in our life where we just become, become less aware of where you're at work in us. And sometimes it just feels like it's just exploding and it's, it's nothing, we can't but not see where you're at work. Um, Lord, help us to be a church where we, we recognize the, the small things. And we, we celebrate those things because we know they're works of your grace. And that we would encourage one another and build one another up in, in those things. So just, I said just you would give us eyes to see today um, the work of grace all around us. And, and Lord, we're, we're feeling possibly weak and not able to endure. Lord, would you, would you remind us that that the gospel seeds that you sow in us by your spirit, you guarantee, you guarantee to keep us. You guarantee that there will be a harvest, Lord. And Lord, where there's this weary in doing good, Lord, would you, would you allow there to be strength today for us? And where there has been maybe a dullness to hearing you, Lord, would you allow there to just be a fresh a fresh receiving and a fresh joy in the gospel this morning. It would be delightful to us. It would be joy to us. The, the, the love, your love would, would tenderize our heart and it would, it would move us to, to thanks and joy. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.